Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. Sorry, I had a flashback to my Leonard Skinner days. Now, how many of you, when you saw our new series intro last week, didn't kind of think, it kind of sounds like that free bird thing? Well, listen, I'm Chuck Patrick. I am the Creekside venue pastor. That's across the creek here. Those don't know, we have a little campus over there. And so today, though, I'm honored to fill the pulpit for Pastor Tony, who is in the Middle East. So, If you would, get your Bibles, your study guides, your smartphones, and turn to our study passage, Galatians 5, as we continue the series. As Pastor Tony so skillfully uh, introduced us to last week, being freed is an incredible, integral facet of the believer's life. As a matter of fact, Paul begins this section, our passage, 13 here, the same way he began last week's with emphasizing our freedom in Christ. As he says this, he says, you were called to freedom. He's repeating verse 1, freedom, because he knew so many of us stay in bondage. So he says, you're called by sovereign God to freedom. So church, if you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are freed. Freed, like we sang, from the guilt of the past. There is therefore now now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You're freed from the fear of the future. God says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. You're freed from the penalty of sin. Jesus paid it all. And we're freed from the power of sin. You realize the Holy Spirit of God lives in us to give us daily strength and victory over sin. As we learned last week, we are freed from the demands and threats of legalism. So, we have been freed. Hallelujah. Listen, turn to the person beside you and say, I've been freed. How about you? Yes, hallelujah, we have. And if we have been freed, we, we get this. I think that we get that we've freed from a lot of things, but Paul wants to emphasize now You're also not just freed from stuff, you're freed to a lot of things. We're going to look at four primary areas where he emphasizes this freedom. First one, jot down here on your your study guide. We're freed to oppose the flesh. Freed to oppose the flesh. In our text we read, Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. The Apostle Paul recognized, as we must also today, Although we've been redeemed and bestowed with this incredible gift of freedom, this side of heaven, we still live in these earth suits, you know, our fleshly bodies and minds. 
while we had the Spirit of God living in us. So we're not glorified yet. So we have to contend with this tension between flesh and the Spirit. Pastor Tony will continue next week with more about that. But I'm going to try to illustrate this to you. So my sanctified, redeemed mind keeps telling me, pull for Tennessee. Keep pulling for Tennessee. (laughs) Yours too, right? But my flesh says, roll with the tide. Roll with the tide. You see the struggle I'm under. But seriously, we do have this, this tension between us here. And so what Paul experienced with the Galatian believers as well as many of the early churches, and as the Holy Spirit knows, the Holy Spirit who wrote this right here, he knows we deal with today, is a dangerous tendency to abuse this freedom by maybe subconsciously declaring, well, listen, I have been saved by God's amazing grace. I've been cleansed by his blood, covers all my sin. So if I sin a little bit here or there, Grace covers it. I'm, I'm just making God even greater, right? You know how Paul answered that? Look what he says to the Romans. He says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, he says. No, no. How can we as blood-washed believers in Christ who gave everything for us to free us, how can we even think about abusing that freedom by sinning a little bit more? So, Here, Paul says, okay, I want you to see this thing. I want you to to get this here. There's a little uh, error on your outline there. I want you to look at that. Maybe I can explain a little bit here. So last week, Pastor Tony, we talked about, uh, well, Galatians 1, a yoke of slavery. Above that, put the word legalism, a yoke of slavery. So that's legalism. I want you to see this arrow represents our life in the flesh on earth before we are with God in eternity in glorified bodies. We have to deal with this tension. So that's legalism. We talked about that last week, giving in to all the rules and trying to get approval with God. So we don't need approval with God. He's approved us through the blood of Jesus. So that's legalism. But he says, and today's text says, you've been given freedom, that's liberty. Jot that down in the middle blank. We are called to freedom. We have liberty. We've been liberated. See, freedom. Now, but Paul says, here's the problem. If you don't get trapped in legalism, you, sometimes you tend to go to this other extreme. He saw that in the Galatian church. You're going toward opportunity for the flesh. That word is license. Put the word license there. Some translations call it licentiousness. That was that tendency to just say, you know, I'm covered in grace. I've got my fire insurance. I can live how I want. See, look, I have a license to drive. I don't have a license to drive dangerously. See, I have a license to lift my hands in worship here at Silverdale. Praise God. But it's happened a while back. I heard this amazing song. I lifted my hands and smacked the guy's nose next to me. He's like, oh, praise God, I think. So the thing is, so my freedom ends where your nose begins. See, here's the thing. The Word of God has parameters or guardrails so that we live out this freedom in the right way of chasing Jesus. And there are several guardrails I could get into. One is abstain from all appearance of evil. Another one, does it offend my brother? Right. Does it glorify God? Several guardrails. So that's the, the tension we're in. So how are we to combat these fleshly 
selfish desires and ambitions that abuse our freedom. Well, Paul goes on, he says, listen, here's how I do it. He said, don't abuse your freedom, but through love, serve one another. Jot that down. We're free to serve others. Free to serve others. So Paul's remedy for yielding to those selfish desires is to turn our focus to serving others. You ever notice when you start paying attention to others, their needs, yourself kind of takes a back seat. And you say, well, we've got this down. We've done serve the city. Yes, I know many of you, hundreds of us, were out there with me two weeks, weekends ago when we made a difference in our city being the hands and feet of Jesus. Now, but that's not the intent of our text here. What Paul's saying is not that your service be an event, but it be a lifestyle of daily looking out for the needs of others. That's our intention as a church. We hope that serve the city is more of a launching pad or a catalyst for you to serve daily to those around you where you work, neighborhoods, uh, inner city, daily looking out for the needs of others. But quite frankly, living in church world, it's easy to get desensitized to the needs of others. We had this great structure of meeting needs across the street and around the world. So it, we can become callous to those needs. Years ago, I was a youth minister across town. And I had just been ordained into the gospel ministry. I had the opportunity to preach for a pastor who was gone. Well, this day of the week, I'd been studying and had a call. We had a, a church member down at the hospital. So I head down to Erlanger Medical Center to uh, visit them, check on them. So if you've been to Erlanger, huge medical center with hundreds of cars, thousands of cars. So I'm looking for a parking place so I can get in there and serve God. So I'm looking, praying, God, give me a parking place. How many of y'all have done that even at Walmart? I know you have. So I'm praying for a good reason here. So looking for this parking place. I'm driving along and nothing. Go to the second level, nothing. I keep driving around and all of a sudden I see a guy coming out from the hospital with a baby stroller and I said, great, I'll just follow him to his car. So I did. He puts the stroller in the car, baby in the car, then he gets in the car and all of a sudden he starts and goes, nothing. Oh God, come on. Give me a parking place. Somebody at least has a car that runs. So I head on past this guy because I had to serve God. So I keep driving around looking for a parking place. I go another level, nothing. And so keep driving around. Now come back. Here's this guy under the hood. It was right then it happened. Have you ever been kicked by the Holy Spirit with a steel-toed boot? I felt like God was saying, you selfish jerk. You're not serving me at all. So immediately I got out of my car, went over to him. I said, hey, listen, um, can I help you out? Maybe you need a jump or something. I got cables. The guy looks at me and he goes, um, no habla inglés. I go, oh, God, I'm trying to serve you. Where is Gus Hernandez when I need him? <laughs> so, you know, I forgot all my high school Spanish, so I'm trying to, you know, kind of pull things together. I said, okay, listen, I got uh, cable arrows. You know, we can <laughs> hook up to the battery O and... I know he didn't get it, but I went and grabbed him. I said, okay, hooked up my battery to his. I said, go in the car and <laughs> So that's a universal language. <laughs> so he gets in and vroom, starts up. Mr. Goodwrench, I had done it. 
So it was then I felt like, now I get it. God, you sent me to witness to this guy. So the guy gets out of his car, and he says, uh, mucho gracias. I you know, knew, remember that, the thank you thing in Spanish. And so I just uh, kind of prayed a quick prayer. God, I know I'm a good old Southern Baptist boy, but give me the gift of Spanish tongues right now so I can speak to him. So I'm saying, God loves you. He's looking at me like, yo quiero Taco Bell or something like that. <laughs> and I realized, I don't know what to say. So I just said, hey, listen, I'm Chuck. He goes, Chuk, Chuk. I said, yeah, that's great. Yes, Chuk. And he goes, ooh, me, Jesus. Wow. Even I knew what that was in Spanish. Man. And so can you imagine the old Tennessee Southern boy hearing I just started Jesus' car? I said, Jesus, and I hugged him. Oh, Jesus, Jesus. And the guy's like, oh, la cucalaracha. You know, <laughs> guy, he jumps in his car and takes off. <laughs> but listen, I never forgot that, how God spoke to me convicted me about serving. This guy's wife's probably sick in the hospital and needed that. And who knows if he prayed for it. All I know is God cared about him. And it reminded me of this beautiful passage of a glimpse in our future that Jesus talks about in Matthew when he says this. I've got it in your outline. King Jesus has the righteous and the unrighteous. And he says to the righteous, King Jesus says, we'll answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, you did it to me. Circle least of these and circle to me. So do we serve in love? Maybe that least is that homeless guy that you think, get a job. Then you find out he's got PTSD for being in Afghanistan. Maybe it's that server at the restaurant can't quite get things together you find out she's a single mom raising her little fifth grader, and they live with her mother who just got diagnosed with cancer is down at Erlanger, and you're sitting there, and she's in tears. Church, do we truly serve and show the love of Jesus around us? I want you to jot this down here. The sign of the saved is our love for the least. Paul says, to the Galatians, he says, 2,000 years later to us, he says, people are looking at you. Are you showing them the sign of the believer? Are you showing the love of Christ to them? So have you freed your heart to love? Who is your least? Well, Paul now moves along. He wants to make this love thing even deeper. So jot this third thing down. He says, Church, you are free to obey God's law. And you may say, wait a minute. Last week we said the legalism thing, we don't have to give into that. Paul says, you don't. He says this verse, he says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The Apostle Paul has this brilliant answer for the Judaizers and the false teachers. And let's face it, church, we have them today too. They had them then, we have them who say, oh, you've got to obey all these commandments to be approved of God. All right? Obey all these laws. Paul says, listen, let me make it simple for you here. As a matter of fact, he says, I'm going to give you a kiss. You know what kiss is? Keep it simple, stupid. Okay? 
And that's what some people, these false teachers are, we'll call them what they are, they're stupid. They make the Word of God what it's not. Paul says, listen, I'm going to make it simple for you. The whole law, circle that in your line, that verse, the circle whole law. The whole law, by the way, in Jewish culture, the whole law was 613 codified laws and commandments, 248 positive, 365 negative. So imagine the burden of that. So Paul said, Jesus came to change things for you. The whole law is fulfilled in one word. Circle word in that verse. Just circle word. In the Greek, that's the word logos, which is the same word translated in John 1.1. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. Who's that? It's Jesus. Jesus. So the law is all fulfilled in Jesus. No other name but Jesus. And, and so Paul says, Jesus says, you shall like your neighbor as yourself. Oh, is that right? Oh, I'm sorry. That's Mark Zuckerberg's Facebook version. All right. Matter of fact, I'm not dogging Facebook. It's a beautiful tool, life-sucking, time-killing, ego-crushing. Well, I'm not as savvy on Facebook as it used to be. So don't worry if you're wondering, does Brother Chuck like me? Well, don't worry. I don't. Actually, I don't, I don't click on the, you know, the like button, but I love you. What Paul's saying here, and the Holy Spirit is so masterful in directing him to write this, he resolves our issue, if he, and their issue with legalism and the law. He takes this classic Old Testament commandment from Leviticus. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's from the book of the law. They all knew that. And he, he then takes Jesus' revision. So if you're Jesus, you're a son of God, you can revise anything you want. Jesus' revision in Mark says this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other greater commandment than these, meaning that and love your God with all your heart. Love God, love man. See the cross there? Love God, love man. And so then, once you hear this, this is from Romans. Paul really hammers this to the Romans. See, the whole early church, like our church, all right, has this tendency to want to give in to law so we can be approved by God. Paul says this in Romans 13. He says, listen, guys, owe nothing to no one except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor, by the way, they asked Jesus, well, Jesus, who's our neighbor? Is that the guy next door? Maybe somebody I go to church with. Who's my neighbor? Well, what did he do? He told the story of the Good Samaritan. And the neighbor was somebody he never knew. What in his culture? See? So a neighbor is someone for whom Christ died. Okay? So he says, love your neighbor. He who love, loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Then he says, for this, you shall not commit adultery, shall not murder, shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there's any, any other commandment, it's all summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. See, what Paul was saying is that, listen, if you follow my, Jesus' new commandment, you're not going to covet, you're not going to commit adultery, you're not going to steal, you're not going to murder, you're not going to do all that. Jesus came to change all that. He finishes that passage in verse 10 by saying, love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. How beautiful Paul presents this here. 
know that we don't have to abide by rules and regulations in the law, but we follow Jesus' law of love. And if we do that and unselfishly and unconditionally love our brothers and sisters and love those we've never even known, we do that, then we fulfilled his whole law. Now, let me try to illustrate it like this. Here's a picture right here. If you'll see this picture, you know what that is? Yeah, it's a sonogram. Sonogram. And so every uh, couple of months, I'll have a family come to me at Creekside, and they'll have their phone out, and they'll show me, look at this. I'll say, oh, this is awesome. You guys are expecting. Yeah, yeah. So I'll say, is it a boy or a girl? You know, dad will go, well, look at there. Look at that. I said, that's okay. I'll wait till the baby, you know, comes. So that sonogram is a beautiful picture. Then a few months later, here's the baby carriage. There's the baby. And I'll say, hey, is that her first Sunday here? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's awesome. But how weird it would be if they pulled out the phone again and said, look at that sonogram. Isn't, isn't it amazing technology, the details there? I would say, listen, I'd rather just look at the real thing here, the baby here. Or what if I'm at a football game and we're watching the game and all of a sudden you bring out your phone and say, check this, who would have thought 16 years ago this sonogram, isn't that an amazing sonogram? I'd go, listen, I'd rather watch your 215-pound linebacker out there playing. See, the sonogram is just a picture uh, for, or foreshadowing of your baby, your child. Much like the law was a beautiful picture. Sonogram is a, a beautiful picture. gets everybody excited. The law was a beautiful picture or foreshadowing that got people looking forward to Jesus. And just as your son or your daughter is the complete fulfillment of that sonogram. So, Jesus is the complete fulfillment of the law. So, by the way, at, turn to the person beside you, ask them, were you ever a sonogram? Some of you may be saying, I don't think we had them back then. <laughs> but, here's the thing, we are freed to obey God's ultimate law of love. Now, in our text, Paul takes a real abrupt, abrupt kind of shift here as he gives us this serious warning what happens when we break the law of love. And he's, he's saying it like this. By obeying God's law of love and sincerely loving others, we should be freed, jot this down, to avoid hurting others. Freed to avoid hurting others. Now listen the truth of this verse. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. Wow. You ever heard the phrase, the church is the only army that shoots its wounded? Ouch. Ouch. Notice the Holy Spirit's choice of words here that he directed Paul to write. Bite, devour, consume. Circle those in your outline. Bite, devour, consume. Now, what do those words have in common? They're all actions of the mouth. See, Paul's imagery here is of ferocious animals biting and devouring each other to the death. And in Paul's analogy here to the church, it's really cannibalistic. But yet, that's what he saw in the Galatian church. And that's what the Holy Spirit knew was going to continue in the church because of Satan, the flesh, the world. That even the church, I'm sorry, even the church will destroy 
each other with the most powerful weapon of all, words. Look what the Apostle James says about this. He says, the tongue is a fire set on fire by hell. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. These things ought not to be so. Church, we have the power of death or life in our words. Listen, if we're free to love, then we'll speak life into people. One of my good friends growing up, his dad had a saying about attaboys. You know what an attaboy is? That's a good job, man, or I'm proud of you, or way to go. He said, all the attaboys in the world are wiped out by one you dummy. Church, are we you dummying people for whom Christ shed his blood? Paul is pretty heavy on this. He said, church, I want you to get this. You can't be doing that. I was about six or seven years old, and as many of us, I don't remember a lot of my childhood memories, but this one stayed with me for several years and haunted me. I was out playing hide-and-seek with some friends, and I, I was hiding behind some bushes and real quiet so friends wouldn't find me. All of a sudden, I heard a couple of neighbor ladies on, the back, back, on their back porch talking. Well, I heard them share my mother's name. They said, man, that Jessie, she is a sorry blankety-blank. That old boy of hers, they're nothing but white trash. Oh, my heart, my spirit sunk. Well, by God's grace, a couple years later, as I've shared before, a, a couple moved here from Florida with their three kids to go to attend seminary at Tennessee Temple Seminary. They were out visiting in the inner city, and they found me at a friend's house and led me to Christ. They ended up loving my mom. They'd visit us and made me like their fourth child and really loved on me. So a few years later, I was probably about 12, I think, they said, hey, we want to uh, take you and hear the special speaker at church. He's coming, and I'd heard about him. Here's a picture of him. It's Charles Tremendous Jones. And for those that don't know, he was one of the leading motivational speakers in the world at that time. He had been on Johnny Carson. Uh, for those that don't know, Johnny Carson was like Jimmy Fallon back in the day, for you young ones here. But he also was a speaker for NFL pro football teams. He, was, he spoke for leading corporations and even uh, the president. So I'd heard of him, and he, he had a tremendous testimony. So we went to Highland Park Baptist Church, and so I'm sitting there, and honestly, I don't remember a thing he said, but what happened ever changed, what happened after changed me forever. The Byrons, they said, hey, you want to go up and meet this guy after? I said, yeah, I'd love to. So they take me down in front. He was signing books. So we began, uh, um, well, I stood there while it finally got to me. And so I looked up at him, and I said, hey, Mr. Jones, what you said was, you know, really cool. And he's laughing, and he reaches down to shake my hand. He says, what's your name, young man? And so I shook his hand. I said, it's Chuck, but my name is Charles on my birth certificate, just like you. And what he said I never forgot. He said, and he's grinning, but he passed me on the head. He says, young man, well, you're tremendous too, and you're going to do tremendous things for God. I never got over that. See, Mark Batterson calls that a supernatural synchronicity. The creator 
of the universe moved heaven and earth to speak into the life of a broken little boy. Listen, that guy, Jones, was friends of Billy Graham and Johnny Unitas, those guys. But yet, to me, he spoke a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge into me. And he didn't know me from Adam. But yet, God did something through his words to me. See, Mr. Jones, he never knew I was going to live the next 15 years with my alcoholic mom, no father. He didn't know the hell I would go through. But yet, somehow, the Holy Spirit of God spoke through him to me to give me hope. Church, we have that power in our words. That was a moment I'll never forget. And you see, our lives are not just measured in minutes. They're measured in moments. The church, do you have a few minutes to make a moment for a broken soul? Could your eye be the answer to someone's prayer? Listen, church, if we've been called to freedom, it's time that we live out this freedom to love by saying no to self. Say no. And by intentionally looking for opportunities to meet the needs of others around us. And so by so being, being the hands and feet of Jesus. And then being the voice of Jesus as we speak life into hurting, weary souls and not words of condemnation, criticism, and death. So listen, as I look at this mighty army right here, and we are because we are a possessed people. We're possessed by the living God. The Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you and I. And with that power, I close with this. And recognizing that, I'm going to close with this quote from one of my favorite people, the renowned theologian, Dr. Theodore Seuss. To the world, you may be one person, but to one person, you may be the world. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a six-week sermon series called Jesus in the Midst. John chapter 13 and 14 record Jesus' final words to his disciples in the upper room. They are about to enter the darkest moment in history, and Jesus shares with them the essentials of what they need to walk through them. You know, the things they needed in the midst of their darkest hour are the same things we need in ours. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses or online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. Lastly, There are so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing at Silverdale. We really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on all our different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.